Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings already bestowed upon us this day as you've given us life, breath and health. And for those that are not here, Father, because of illness or the trials they're going through in life, we pray that you would be with them, be their comfort and strength, and uh, that you would watch over especially those that are suffering, those that are um, near death's door with with their bodies riveted with cancer. Especially pray for Brother John Udria, who may not have many days left. We pray that you would be with him and comfort his family in this difficult time. Bless the word now as we would look to thee. Inspire thy servants this day with the Holy Spirit and give us all hearts that are willing to receive your word in meekness mingled with faith. We thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this uh, morning's text, I'd like to turn, with the Lord's help, to the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, chapter 2. There is a... um, Baptism going on in Kitchener-Avon Road this morning, and so my mind wandered to Colossians chapter 2. The letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossian church, chapter 2. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I had for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the fullness, full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through vain philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye, have, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross." And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and the worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered, and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, <clears throat> as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, such as taste, touch not, taste not, hold, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in honour to the satisfying of the flesh. I have read an, uh, up to and including verse 23. During the prayer, a song came to my mind that sort of ag agrees with the reading that we had this morning. And if you were to read even earlier in chapter 1 of Colossians, this is Apostle Paul's letter to a church where he had some very faithful brethren, one of which was Philemon, to whom he wrote a personal letter. And um, in the first chapter, it talks about, you know, how we have been translated from darkness into his glorious light. Uh, and when we think of darkness, I'm not sure where your mind wanders, but it, the darkness that he's talking about is an analogy for blindness, for people not seeing the truth, for not seeing where they are going, what's happening to them. Um, but it's far more than that. It's, it's corruption, it's um, sickness, illness. It's something that brings man to a state of, of perishing and, and eventually where does that leave him even if you don't believe in God where does it leave you man where does it leave that man or that woman what kind of a life have they led uh, where they end up with um, a state of hopelessness so the, the scripture that came, or the, the verse that came to my mind was from hymn number 176 it says <clears throat> What is all this world without thee? A benighted, dreary veil. What is heaven above without thee? A deserted banquet hall. What is life on earth without thee? Gloomy death forever new. What is dying here without thee? Night without the morning's glow. And that indeed is um, the, predicament, the predic predicament of mankind when we see people around us dying, people around us suffering, but when we think of perhaps what we have experienced in the last couple of weeks with Brother Paul Mueller passing away and 
now Brother John Udria in Woodcliffe Lake, close to his end, we don't have the same gloomy outlook and sadness because we know where they're going. As a matter of fact, they're going to a far better place when we are living in here. In the book of Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and says, We should not be like the world and sorrow like the world as those that had no hope. And we can certainly have hope as we read in Colossians in the 27th verse of the first chapter, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ is in us, we have the hope for glory, a hope that when everything else fails, we would be received, as Jesus said, into everlasting habitations. Paul writes to the Colossians uh, with a very concise letter, very short, but full of so much um, of God's richness, of God's grace, of God's love for mankind. And it came with a price. It came with servants such as Epaphras. In another scripture, in another book, Epaphroditus, who was nigh unto death, uh, in this book here, Paul, I believe, sitting in a prison cell. And he says, For what I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. What great striving, what great warrings he has for you, for his beloved church in Colossae. And for them at Laodicea, which is not far from Colossae. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh... If you only knew what great conflict I have to deliver to you the words that God gave me, that Christ gave me to deliver to you. And he prayed that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, unto all riches of the fullness of the assurance of understanding, to the acknowledging of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Paul's prayer for the disciples of Christ and especially for those that were at Colossae was that their hearts would be knit together, knit together in love. And I can think of perhaps one other example in the Old Testament where it, it told, said that the, the hearts, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, the hearts of Jonathan and David were knit together and he loved, they loved each other like they had the love for a woman. That's how close they were. That's how um, near and of like-minded spirit they were, that they could have this love for each other. They were intermeshed. And it really struck me at one of our um, devotions in Zambia. We have devotions every morning. When uh, we read from First Peter chapter 1, where it says that that, the result of one being born again, the outcome of one being born again, one of those is that we have unfeigned love for the brethren. Unpretentious, genuine, 
love for the brethren. Um, I was amazed at the house we were staying at, uh, Ruth's, uh, my, our new daughter-in-law, their parents, they have 11, 12 children. One died in a pool accident at a very young age. But um, the open love and, 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 and uh, embracing and uh, affection shown, displayed every child was normal. There was no reservation, there was no hesitation. Uh, they have there also difficulties with a couple of the children going through their teenagehood and the young adulthood. But it was openly shown. And um, when they were singing in the morning, which was a usual practice, and Millie walked in, she just burst into tears as they were singing so beautifully together um, and showing this, this, this love for one another. I was in the Barlingen church and um, I noticed that when the brothers give greetings or when there's a prayer said, they all with one accord say amen or thank you. This morning I heard barely a peep when greetings were given. I'm just wondering why. Are we afraid of opening up? Are we afraid of showing our zeal? Are we afraid of maybe being too charismatic? And I think it's not a matter of culture. It's a matter of maybe learning to do better. Love does not only have works. It's not only, but it has warmth as well. Light not only reveals, but it has warmth. And we, I believe, brothers and sisters, need to be a bit more um, showing the affection and the passion that Paul had for his own. Or can we only do it in letters? Or can we do it, brother, I'm so refreshed to see you. And I'm just as guilty. What I'd like to do this morning is maybe set a light under each and every one of us to show a bit more openness, to show a bit more warmth, to show a bit more that we really love each other, that we really care for each other. And this was a plea from Brother Paul Scaller at last year's New Year's gathering here in the, in the basement. This is just an encouragement of which I am just as guilty. And I've sort of made a resolution within myself that I'm going to try to do, the, do much better than I have in the past. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. They have something very special. They have something very special. They have God, Christ in them, the hope of glory. And when they meet and when they... Um, discuss things, there's, there's this vibrancy of they have something this world does not have. Do we show it? Or are we with the world acting very negatively, complaining, whining? Do we believe we have something very special?
We are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And that ought to really instill in us this this enthusiasm, this joy that is infectious. In whom I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, this world goes to great lengths to go to universities and educate themselves and, and they excel and progress and at the end of the day, what do they have if they don't have Christ? What is all this world without you? They have nothing if they don't have Christ. We have a treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, and it very well parallels Colossians, the next chapter, chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Colossians 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things which are above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead to sin, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If we have been risen with Christ, we need to exemplify resurrected lives. We need to show that we are new creatures, that we are different creatures from those that are on this earth that are without Christ. And Jesus in John chapter 13 said, and in, in, in relation to this verse of your hearts being knit together in love, he says, so shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for the other. That is probably one of the primary evidences of one that is born again. Read John, the first epistle of John. You will see there five specific evidences of one that is born of God. One, he says, he that is born of God cannot sin. Meaning, cannot be sinning in the present continuous tense. But another evidence is that the love of God is in him. And that love of God is unconditional. In the sense that I will not stop loving you if you stop loving me. Are you willing... Are you willing to forsake all, to deny yourselves and love with the love of Christ? Love those that persecute you, that speak evil against you. Love those that, that say all manner of things against you falsely for his sake. Love family members that you have disagreements with. 
the proof in Christianity, in, in nominal Christianity, is that over 50% of marriages end up in divorce. The proof is that they cannot love with the love of Christ. I'm willing to go to the death to you, with you, says Peter. But he denied him three times. We say we're willing to die for you. Um, uh, someone that loves his neighbor is willing to lay down his life for his friends. But we cannot get along. We split up. We divorce. It's too hard. He said, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. There was nothing that gave the Apostle Paul more pleasure than to see the, the lambs of God, the sheep of the fold, the, the members of the body of Christ, uh, behold, uh, rejoicing and being in, in, in unison of mind, uh, being steadfast in faith, that gave him the most pleasure. That made his suffering all the worthwhile. And so it is in our church as well that God wants us to be presented to him by Christ as a, a church, pure, um, blameless, holy, without blemish when he comes. And that can only happen if we love the truth and love each other. He says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. If you don't have the right foundation, we will not stand. We cannot be built up on him if we are not rooted in the foundation of Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what that foundation is. It says um, at the end of chapter 2, and built upon the foundation of the apostles, that means their teachings, and the prophets, that means what is written in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye all are also built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That is why it is very essential that we preach the entire word of God. And maybe we have been lacking in that area because we haven't gone systematically through the whole Bible perhaps. But the entire word of God needs to be preached. We can't be just preaching the things that we are good at or that we like to hear. But we need to preach the entire word of God because that's what the faith is built upon. The preaching and the teaching of the apostles, the prophets and Jesus Christ. And then he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through, vain, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now there's reason to believe, strong evidence to believe, that the early church was influenced 
by um, some false teachers. And it, it is believed that perhaps these were what was called the Gnostics, the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C. And they, there were Gnostics that were quote-unquote claiming to be Christians and they taught many things that is written not only in this letter but in the letter to that the Apostle John wrote, 1 John. These Gnostics, uh, there was one whose, whose name was Serinthius. He was quoted by one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, if I'm not mistaken, or Clement. And uh, these Gnostics believed that God did not create the earth because the earth is sinful, the earth is uh, corrupt, and so it was another god, a demiurge, they called him, that created this sinful, lowly earth. God only created the heavens in their, in their view, and for Jesus Christ to come to the earth as the Christians preached would not be consistent with that. Because Jesus would be, would be corrupting himself, defiling himself with the things of this earth. And their way to salvation was through some special enlightenment, through depriving themselves, through depriving themselves from not marrying, uh, having relationships with women, from depriving themselves with not eating certain foods, from def uh, depriving themselves for, for other, uh, with other um, if you will, liberties. And through that, they'd be enlightened and come to a closer knowledge of God and get their salvation in that fashion. I, I once, um, when somebody many, many years ago tried to tell me why we shouldn't um, indulge in certain things, it says, see, it says here, touch not, taste not, handle not. That's what it says. Well, when I looked into it, I said, well, hang on a sec, that's not what it says. That's not the context of, of what it says. It says, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, from the things that this elements that this world offers you, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to these ordinances, man-made traditions? And the KJV interpreters or translators put brackets in here to show these are examples of these types of ordinances. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to, use, which are to perish with the using after the doctrines and commandments of men. It seems that there seems to be a mix of the pharisaical teachings and this other Middle Eastern or, or Eastern teachings that... that there is holiness in depriving yourself of things and that makes you right with God. And there were many through the ages that did that. A man by the name of Stylites, I forget how many years he stood on a pole in the middle of the desert and he stood there for everyone to see him as a spectacle. Simon Stylides was his name. Thinking that through that he would receive God's favor after the traditions of men. What I've noticed also in 
even in our circles from many, many, many years back, individual opinions have caused all kinds of problems in the church because they believe this should be done. This is what I believe should be done. And they, they, they teach their own families and children that this should be done and this should be done contrary to the scriptures, saying this is sin and this is sin, where in fact the Bible doesn't teach it. And that is why there was so much confusion. That is why there is so much division. When we put in man's views, when we put in man's opinions, we've had church divisions because of it. And we always come back, you know, 100 years later, 50 years later, we can, we can see it. We can say, whoa, look what happened because of this. That is why we need to stick to the word of God. We need to stick to the word of God. Yes, we need to. Uh, the word of God also talks about liberties and the law of liberty. How we should handle that. But we don't stay there. We need to, to teach the word of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, you know, he talked about uh, meat offered unto idols. And he says, we know that there's no other God. We know that that that. What God has made in First Timothy he said, whatever is sold in shambles, eat freely, asking no questions, so forth. But he said, be careful also of your brother's conscience. And we come back to the law of love. What we do, how we do it, makes all the difference if we could take love for my brother and consideration for my brother. But we don't stop teaching. And hopefully, as Ephesians 4 says, until we all come to the stature of the measure of Jesus Christ. When we all come to that understanding, to that learning. But when some have been insistent it has to be this way, it's caused all kinds of problems. There were false teachers in the time of the Apostle Paul. There were false teachers in the time of of uh, the Apostle John and very harsh words had to be said for them. So much so was this teaching appeared to be prevalent that John was the actual contemporary of this Serinthius. It appears that he's, he's battling this, this teaching of the Gnostics in his, his, in his letter and he says, if any man say to you that Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh. The same is the Antichrist. The same is an Antichrist. He says um, very strong words in, in chapter 4 of his letter. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. 
There are many voices in this world. There are many beguiling and deceitful voices in this world that tell you you have to do this in order to be saved. One such voice is if you don't speak in tongues, you are not a child of God. And there are many others out there which apparently has a biblical basis, but a judgment like that would not come from Jesus Christ. It says here, let Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of, the princip- which is the head of all principality and power, in whom ye are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." The Jews um, really believed that if you weren't circumcised, at least the Jewish Christians, some of the Jewish Christians uh, were imposing upon the Gentiles to, to circumcise their children according to the law of Moses. And if you haven't done that, then you weren't a Christian. What Paul was saying to the Galatians, he says, if you demand that, in other words, in different words, he said, you have fallen from grace. How about that? How about that as a response to those that are saying you must be circumcised? Paul says, if you demand that as a means to salvation, you have fallen from grace. He says here that we are, we are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. We have been made uh, clean. Circumcision was a, a one way of becoming ceremonially clean. We have become clean through the, the, the operation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And what was that operation? Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Christ performed an operation on us. He was able, through his um, great power that he had in dying on the cross for our sins and resurrecting from the dead on the third day, he was able to take away our sins as if he made an operation on our hearts and took those sins and threw them into the sea according to the book of Isaiah. Or was it Amos? I forget. He performed that operation on us. We didn't perform the operation. We came to God and said, please perform this operation on me. I am sin sick. I have, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
I am a wretched man. I am a sinner in your sight. The greatest of sinners, Apostle Paul says. And we come to him and say, I need to have this transformation done upon my heart. And Jesus did it. The Bible says that this transformation takes place with the agency of several things. The word of God. Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1 says that you are born again, not of the corruptible seed, but the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You're born again by that. Jesus said you're born again by water and by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he says you don't know where it's coming from. It's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, where it's going to, but as you don't see the wind, you don't see the Spirit, but you see the effects of the Spirit working on your heart. And in doing so, God performs this supernatural operation on our hearts, gives us faith, gives us understanding, opens up and enlightens our minds to see the things of God. And not only to see them, but to see how foolish we were in our days past. We have uh, five children, and the two boys, Ryan and Jordan, were in the world at one stage and did their own thing. And now they're, now they're saying to their younger sister, I don't understand you. What are you doing this for? Where are you going? What are you doing? And they're upset. I said, you forget where you were at one stage. You forget what you were doing at one stage. It's so clear to them now on this side of salvation, when they've been translated from, the, from darkness to the, the glorious light of this kingdom, it's easy to see when you go back and say, what was I doing there? Why, why, in the, why on earth did I ever say something or do something like that? That's what it means in 1 Corinthians 2. It says that, that the natural man cannot understand these things. And perhaps we need to be a bit more understanding. Not that we tolerate sin, not that we let it go, but that we understand that God is long suffering with was long suffering with us and is long suffering with us. God is patient with us. Yesterday we read a, a scripture. From the book of Romans, a marvellous book that explains the way of salvation so clearly. But in the book of Romans it says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Huh? These were vessels of God's wrath. God was ready to wipe them out, but God, with long suffering, endured their sin, their iniquity. Romans says that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. I don't know, you don't know how long God is going to endure with long suffering. 
if you've been putting him off, if you've been taking him for granted. We also read in Romans 1 where it talked about God giving them up because they loved to do what they did. God giving them up to do those things which are inconvenient. God giving them up unto reprobate minds. It is the operation of God in us and us pleading with him to transform our hearts. And he blotted out our handwriting of ordinances which was against us. The criminal in the time of Rome had to carry his own cross, maybe the cross beam, and he had a plaque or somebody else going ahead of him with the writings of what his crime was. And we know that Pilate wrote on the sign for Jesus Christ his crime was Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. That was his crime that he claimed to be the Son of God. He took everything that we were accused for and guilty of and he nailed it. To his cross. But it didn't end there on the cross. It says, and having spoiled principalities and powers... He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come. The list that he had just described had nothing to do with pagan festivities or, or, or feasts. It had to do with the Jewish religion. He acknowledged these have a shadow of things to come. But don't judge other people if they value one day over another. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But when Christ comes, there is no need for a schoolmaster. That Christ was the end of the law, Romans 9 says, to all them that believe. And it, it's, it's a shame, it's a pity when we put people in boxes because they don't quite fit into the kind of rules we think they should be in. Let no man beguile you again, he says, of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. These false teachers, because they, they felt that the world and earth was corrupt, they worshipped heavenly things. They gave 
veneration to angels and spirits. There was a sort of a false humility about them, it says in the last verse. And many today would like to maybe feel more holy when there are symbols and they feel you go into a Catholic church and there's all these different symbols and crosses and artifices and and they feel perhaps somewhat more holy. If that's what makes you feel more holy, I'm questioning what's inside. Do you, you know, the human race was indicted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 when he says, they worship the creature more than the creator. When you put your trust in things, you've missed the point. Our trust and our hope should be in Jesus Christ and that is what is in us. He is hid. It's a hidden treasure we read. God is in us, hidden in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that is manifested by what we do. Not how we feel, by what we do. What we really believe. Yesterday we had a question at our meeting. You know, if somebody believes somewhat differently on... For example, predestination or election. Somebody asked me that question. Is he a Christian? My response was, I believe he's a Christian if he's, you know, if he's following the word of God. But he will be judged as we will be judged by our works. The Bible says every time there's a judgment of God... We will be judged by our works. And what we really believe will come out in our works. We will be judged by our works. And that part of that works is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many people out there that may do good things, but they don't attribute it to Jesus Christ. They don't give Christ the glory. They don't give Christ the glory for the remission of their sins. That's also a work. Don't think it's just belief and and so forth. It's a work because we have been made his mouthpiece. We have been made the messengers of the gospel. So we'll be judged for everything we do. I pray that, first speaking to myself, that I'll be far, a far more greater messenger of the gospel, a light to this world. Not in just what I believe. If I believe and hide that under a bushel, it will mean nothing to this world. A light that is lit and placed on a bushel, no man can see it. But if you put that light candle on the hilltop for everyone to see, now you're glorifying God. And he used that in Matthew chapter 5 as an analogy and metaphor on how we are to glorify our Father in heaven by what we do. And what we do ultimately comes from what we really believe. 
I pray that that's the case for every one of us. And I pray that you would hold me accountable to what I've said today. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Apostle Paul was a man as you and I. Yet when he was on the other side in the kingdom of darkness, he did many things that were so evil and wicked, yet he was thinking that he was doing God a service. Jesus prophesied that. He said there will become those in John chapter 16. There will come a time when those that kill you will think they're doing God a service. But when his eyes were opened on the way to Damascus and he saw himself as he really was, He was in great torment and pain, realizing what he had done. And he cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he thanked Jesus Christ. But he remembered his time when he opposed Christ, and he used that. to perhaps guide his thoughts keep him humble he said I am the least of all the apostles am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God and that gave him even more zeal and more passion to go the other way He would have to write to the Galatians, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And he gladly suffered for the Christ he once persecuted because of the grace that was shown to him. And I pray that this grace that God has given us and the love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us that it would motivate us to love and good works so that all men would know that we are indeed his disciples. To him be all the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.